Hey guys, Sonali here. We're working very hard to put together new episodes for you. But in the meantime, here's a rebroadcast of one of our earlier episodes on product marketing management in tech. And this one features George Zeng, who is a product marketing manager at Facebook. Enjoy. Hello everyone, this is Sonali Mangal and welcome to another episode of Learn, Educate, Discover. On this podcast, we invite people from different professions on each of our episodes and we ask them a range of questions to try and understand what their job is all about. The goal of this podcast is to try and educate our listeners about as many different kind of jobs as we can so that someone listening to the show can decide does a certain job sound interesting to them and if yes, how do they go about exploring it further. On today's show, we are going to be talking about product marketing management in tech. And this is a role that you can find in almost all medium to large sized companies. And as the name suggests, it involves thinking about how do you promote and sell your product to an audience. And of course, the nature of this role varies quite a bit from company to company, and we'll get more into that during our discussion. But suffice to say that almost all companies such as Google, Facebook, Microsoft, Dropbox, Box, Airbnb, etc., all of them have people working in this role. So it's a very interesting role to learn more about. So let me quickly introduce our guest on today's show then, who's going to help us understand this area in detail. His name is George Zeng. And George currently works as a product marketing manager with Facebook. Actually, let me correct that. He very recently moved into a product management role at Facebook. But until very recently, he was working as a product marketing manager for close to two years at Facebook. And he's been doing very well in this role. In fact, he went well above and beyond the typical things that someone does in this role. And that enabled him to do well and also transition fairly quickly to a different role. And of course, we'll talk more with George in terms of what are the kind of things that he did. But before Facebook also, George has done a variety of things and it's really quite interesting. So before Facebook, George started his own company called Aircare Labs. This was in the healthcare space. And not only did the company do very well, George was able to sell this company to Right Care Solutions about two years after its inception. So that was great. Before this, he's done a variety of things. So he's worked as a consultant for a while with McKinsey and Company. He worked at a hedge fund for a while. So he was with TPG Axon Capital in Hong Kong for some time. He's also worked in investment banking. So he was with Goldman Sachs for a while. And he has also worked in sales. He was the head of sales for Groupon in southern China for some time. So very, very diverse background. And he did a lot of interesting things in all of these roles. And in terms of his educational background, George has a background in economics from Princeton University. And he also has an MBA from the Wharton School with a concentration in healthcare and technology. So as you'll see in today's show, George is going to be sharing a lot of great details in terms of what a role in product marketing management is all about and what helped George do really well in this role. And he'll also be sharing a number of insights which are helpful, not only vis-a-vis product marketing management, but in terms of your career overall. So I really hope you find today's discussion helpful and interesting. And without further ado, let's welcome George to the show. (music) 
Hey, Sonali. Hey, George. How are you? I'm doing really well. It's uh, it's uh, just packing before going to Mexico for a wedding, but otherwise doing really well. Oh, wow. It's 10 p.m., right? When are you leaving for your wedding? <laughs> I'm leaving for my wedding. Oh, not my wedding. No, a wedding for wedding. a friend <laughs> tomorrow morning, the 7 a.m. flight. But leaving for the airport probably around 5 to 6 a.m. or so. Oh, my God. So this thing is going to take a while, you know that, right? Recording the podcast. I do, <laughs> and I am prepared to be as helpful as I can and and push packing off as long as I can. So you haven't packed yet either? Have not packed yet. <laughs> I, I think you should just forget about sleeping. Tonight, yeah. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so I'm really looking forward to today's discussion and super excited to hear about what you did in your role as a product marketing manager. So I think a good place to start could be, you know, if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself and your career path so far. Sure. I mean, you did a very, very good summary. But I'd say that for me, for some people, I feel like they've figured out what they want to do in life early on. And for me, it was really a process of trial and error. So like you mentioned, I worked in finance, I worked in consulting, but I really found a good product market fit, if you will, of a role fit for me in this sort of sweet spot of entrepreneurship and technology. And I realized I really enjoyed building products, building organizations, and building teams. So my experiences at Groupon, at Facebook, and in the entrepreneurial world very much fit squarely in that kind of space. And it's just what I love doing, and I've had a lot of fun doing it for the last few years. No, I can see that. I mean... We we met each other at Wharton. At that time, were you clear about this, you know, this interest in technology and entrepreneurship? Because before then, your background was more traditional rather than non-traditional, right? So it's consulting, finance, that sort of thing. Yeah, yes and no. So I knew that I wanted to move further from analyzing businesses and actually be closer to building businesses and building products. Um so that was a bit of a process that took many years for me to figure it out. So, for example, when I worked in investment banking, it was very much an analyst kind of job. Mm-hmm. And then when I went over to the investing side, I wanted to get closer to managements within big companies and really get a sense of how they thought about running the businesses. Mm-hmm. So TBG, as some of you may know, is not only a hedge fund, but also a private equity firm. Right. So I wanted to get a sense of both the private and the public uh, investing sort of processes. And from that experience, I realized that moving to consulting was one step closer to running businesses and and working with people. And for me, the real jump into technology and entrepreneurship came when me and this other guy named Howard, a good friend of mine, we actually ran Groupon Southern China. And that was such a fun time. Howard's a really good friend and we had an amazing, amazing run. And actually the wedding I'm going to tomorrow is for Howard. Howard and and his, uh, I guess, fiance, wife-to-be, who were, were, were all really good friends. And that helped led me to realize that during business school, I really wanted to spend a lot of time kind of at this intersection of technology and entrepreneurship, building products, building teams, building organizations. So while I was a full-time student, I actually started a company called AirCare, Mm -hmm. like you mentioned, in healthcare technology. And while I was a full-time student, I actually ran the company, did a full-time accelerator, and set the company up for success for continuing success, I guess, by the time I graduated from business school. Did it for a year, then uh, sold it. Uh, backtrack a little bit. Another thing I did during business school was I, in, I interned at Facebook. So after selling AirCare, I went back to Facebook. So that's kind of how I ended up where I am right now. And when you were interning at Facebook, were you already was AirCare already there at that point? 
So it was not. When I interned at Facebook, I had hacked on different side projects and business ideas, but I hadn't committed to any single one at that point in time. I was still working with different projects, different people, and uh, it took a little bit longer after I interned at Facebook for me to figure that out. Got it. Got it. Okay. So you joined Facebook after selling AirCare. Yes. Right. So tell us a little bit about what was your thought process at that time, specifically what attracted you to product marketing management? Yeah. So it's really interesting being kind of in a technology company or in an entrepreneurial position because personally what I really like is the intersection of both business and engineering or product. And not having been trained as an engineer in my education, when I was at, uh, when I was at Princeton undergrad, I got a degree in, in, like you mentioned, econ, finance, Chinese, East Asian studies. So it was a bunch of humanities stuff. Mm. All the coding and technology stuff that I did was self-taught. Like during business school, actually, I went and took engineering classes at, at Penn. Mm. I uh, also did this thing where there was like this program, General Assembly, I think it was called, that had boot camps, oh, literally cool. like one day, one week type boot camps in coding in R and Python, PHP. I literally did every single one. So over the course of a year, I went up to New York probably dozens of times and took every single one of the, the weekend boot camps or evening boot camps they had. And then in addition to that, just started hacking on my own. So not come, having come from a traditional engineering background, but largely self-taught, means that whereas I feel very comfortable building my own websites, building web apps, I don't have as much of the engineering background to do very, very technical, say, back-end work. Right. So I found, found that being at the intersection of business, which leverages my entrepreneurial skills, but still be involved with product and engineering, which I enjoy, both product marketing and product management are very, very good for the intersection of these two disciplines. Hmm. Okay. So maybe you can describe for us a little bit what is product marketing. Sure. Product marketing is actually different company to company. Why don't I describe it, what it's like at Facebook? And I believe there's some slight variations which I can talk to that I think exist at other companies. Okay. So product marketing at Facebook can, comprises of two broad pieces of work. One is inbound or inbound marketing. That's basically going out and figuring out what the market requirements for a product are. So for example, I work on ads. Uh, an inbound project or inbound piece of work would be going out and figuring out what advertisers really want, what advertisers really need to sell their products, right? Mm. And this is a piece of work that can oftentimes include market sizing, segmentation. It can include a lot of interviews with different advertisers to say, figure out what their true needs are because sometimes they don't need know what their needs are. Sometimes it's a very much a discovery process that an inbound product marketing person has to figure out. And then when that piece of work is done, oftentimes the product marketing person will work with the product manager and with the engineering team to spec out exactly the requirements of the product. And when the product has been built, the second piece of a product marketing person's work, at least at Facebook, is called the outbound process. Mm. And that's taking the product, going out, and making sure that product is adopted as widely as possible so that it's successful. No matter how well you build the product, if people don't use it, it's not having an impact. Right. So the, the outbound piece is making sure that the product is used and has impact in whatever way it was designed to have. 
Got it. Okay. So let's go a little bit deeper into this. So the inbound process at a very, very high level, the inbound piece is basically thinking about or figuring out what are the requirements that you need to build in your product through different ways, right? So it may not be very obvious to everyone. Like, why were you speaking with advertisers? Yeah. So let me first clarify by saying the things I described, I guess, are more of the typical ways of doing inbound, Mm -hmm. right? And I think in order to do anything, not only product marketing, but anything successfully, you have to think about not only what are the typical ways of doing it, but the atypical ways of doing it. So this is like step one. There's also step two of the inbound sort of uh, work that you can do as well. Mm -hmm. But to answer your question directly in terms of why speaking with advertisers is there's this whole process called customer development, which is a discipline within the entrepreneurship broader entrepreneurship circles. If you Google this, you'll find a lot of different examples of what this actually means. But in a nutshell, it means interviewing people and asking questions to tease out their true need that they themselves may not know. So the perfect example of this is the old example people will talk about. Henry Ford saying, if I asked people what they wanted, they would have just said a faster Mm -hmm. horse. Right. Right. And truly what they wanted is they wanted a faster, easier, more efficient way of getting from point A to point B. It didn't have to be a horse, but if you ask people that question, they can they most likely only only work in the existing paradigms that they've been taught, experiences they've had before. So truly good inbound work identifies the problem and may come up with solutions that are outside the paradigms that people have used before. Gotcha. And that's the point of interviews. It's to truly identify the problem that you're trying to solve. And not only the existing ways of solving it, but perhaps entirely new different ways of solving it as well. Got it. So I I would love an example of what you might have figured out, like what wasn't an immediately obvious need of advertisers. But just one thing I would like to clarify, and maybe you mentioned it and I missed it. But the reason, I mean, so advertisers were your customers, right? Yes. That's why you were speaking with advertisers because you owned like an ad product. Yes, yes, yes. So the products I worked on at Facebook and I continue to work on are ads-related products. Okay. So if you think about it, they are actually products that advertisers use and consumers see. So the immediate users of the product are advertisers, but one the, the, the consumers of the final ad products are actually consumers. Right, of course. Okay. So yeah, I think it'll be very helpful if you can share an example of uh, the kind of things you may have uncovered in your interviews with these advertisers, which were then very insightful and led to something very different in the product. Yeah. So let me give you an example. I, I will have to be a bit general here mm-hmm. because some of the stuff is still private information. Mm-hmm. But one of the things I discovered in some of my conversations with advertisers is that having good creatives was a big, big problem, Right. So what, what that means is the pictures and the texts and the descriptions for an ad have a very, very large effect on the actual return on investment of that ad. Mm-hmm. And prior to this, the way that people actually really improve their creative was a very manual process of talking to agencies or maybe using, using professionals to help you improve, improve the quality of your, of your picture. So one of the things I realized is that there's probably a way we can productize this mm-hmm. where we can very thoughtfully use machines to figure out which creatives are good and which creatives <laughs> are bad and use that to systematically improve the quality of creatives. I see. Okay. So that led to a whole sort of line of thinking and products that actually automated part of the, parts of these processes. 
I see. Okay, yeah, that's really smart. Okay. And you mentioned one very interesting point, which is that in any job, actually, not just in product marketing management, there's the typical way of doing things and then there's the atypical way of doing things. So within the inbound piece, can you talk a little bit about what were the typical things which you can see almost every product marketing manager doing? And then what was the atypical thing that you did? I'm guessing it's the advertiser interviews, but if there was anything else also. Yeah, let me just give you a simple example of this. A typical way of doing an inbound piece of work would involve maybe market sizing. So an analysis using things like market research. It would involve reading research reports. It would involve speaking with advertisers. It would involve customer segmentation, which is segmenting the types of advertisers that would use your product based on some kind of external third-party research. And that's all good and I think important. But one of the models I have in my head is in order to obtain unusual results, you either have to do unusual things or the usual things in an unusual way. Mm-hmm. I know that's kind of worry, but like if you think about the inverse of what I just said, it's in order to obtain usual results, you do the usual things in the usual way. And anytime I or something I've seen happen has just accepted the usual way of doing things for a very long time, it makes me question whether we're really, really being thoughtful and innovative. So I constantly push myself to sort of break that paradigm when I catch myself in that pattern. And one example of doing this is for some of the products I worked on, I actually went out and found entrepreneurs who are building products in that space or different people who built different versions of that product, sat them down, really, really understood how they built their companies and their products in the past, recruited engineers and product managers and other folks who've been knee-deep in the technical aspects of the product, invited them in for lunch with our teams, and we really, really went at it from a technical perspective. And I feel that by doing that, we were able to actually foresee a bunch of problems of related products that have launched either in the market or related startups, and use that as a way to see six months, one year, two years ahead, and make sure that we don't work on a product or work on a technical problem that has issues other people have already encountered before. Right, okay. That's really smart. And th- this was something which you did completely on your own. Like you like you were the one product marketing manager who was like, hey, let me figure out the other startups who are in this space and let's invite them over for lunch and we learn from them. Yeah, I basically went through my network. I went through Wharton, Princeton alum. I went through my entrepreneurial network from when I was an entrepreneur. I ping random people uh, basically cold on LinkedIn. So I used just a bunch of different other methods. Very cool. Okay. And this is not something which you would find most PMMs doing as such? I don't think I've, at least in my time at Facebook, I didn't really hear of people systematically doing this. Okay. Okay. Very cool. Okay. And then let's go down on the outbound side then. So on the outbound side, you said that basically it's once the product is ready, it's all about figuring out how to get it in the most hands as possible, customer hands as possible. So what are the kind of things that you would work on? And I think over here, again, it will be helpful if you can talk about the typical and the atypical things. Sure. So typical outbound things include preparing blogs, preparing message messaging, which is like talking points for, say, sales and other people who would sell the products, right? And I think there's a very, very standard process. Facebook and I believe many other companies have templates And what many folks end up doing is just filling out those templates with information about the value proposition of the product, about who it's built for, about why you would use it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that's typically the outbound process. Now, I know I mentioned that 
you don't just want to do the usual thing the usual way. You want to think about unusual things you can do as well as unusual ways you can do the usual things to obtain unusually good results. And I truly believe that's an important part of really, really doing outstanding work. And in this example of like outbound, um, the things I did is I work on ads products, but ads products for developers. So the, the team I work with at Facebook most closely is the ads API or ads product platform. So they're the teams that build APIs um, upon which you know tools and buying tools for, for Facebook's ad products are built. And they're responsible for basically ad buying on Facebook more or less. Mm-hmm. So because many of our products have to be used by developers and you can't just use pure blogs and messaging for sales, Things I've done include I help create an accelerator modeled off off of like Y Combinator, Techstars. I, my startup went through an accelerator called Dreamit, Dreamit Health as well. So I created one just for ads developers at Facebook and then worked with a cross-functional team to really create this accelerator that helped a lot of developers and onboarded them in a way where they could be successful. Another thing I did is I worked with one of our internal teams called the Solution Engineering Team to actually create a marketing developer website, a website that includes things like sample codes or an open source version of uh, an app that uses the marketing APIs, as well as host the marketing API accelerator program as well. So those are atypical things that I believe I haven't really heard of other sort of folks in product marketing do before. Yeah, that's that's very interesting. So can you talk a little bit more about the accelerator? So Maybe you can first just like quick one or two lines on what is an accelerator and then what did it mean in the context of what you were doing for developers, yeah. Sure. So um, Y Combinator, YC, Techstars, Dreamit, they're basically programs or accelerators that have the mode of, of accelerating growth or progress in a startup. So the ones that the one that went through in, in YC and Techstars typically have a structure of they give you some money, say fifty thousand dollars or hundred thousand dollars. They take an equity ownership of your company, maybe like eight percent, and over the course of say a few months, two, three, four months, they will provide you with mentorship, office space, connections, and the whole goal is you have a lot of progress done in a very short amount of time. Maybe you do one to two years worth of work in three to four months. At the end of the accelerator, typically you have a demo day where you pitch VCs for funding and then, you know, hopefully you, you get funding for your startup and you go, go on your merry way to build your company. Now, we had a bit of a model on the mobile app side because there's a, also a celebrator type program called FB Start for mobile apps at Facebook, but there's nothing on it like it for ads. So I combined what I saw with FB Start as well as my experience in uh, at Dreamit to basically help create something where ads developers could apply to Accelerator and enter one of three tracks, learn, build, or grow, and receive a combination of ad credits. Uh, they receive mentorship. They received technical support to build their products. And they receive marketing help. Hi. And I want to, by the way, clarify that by no means was I the only person that sort of was responsible for creating either the Celebrator or the Marketing Developer website. To get anything done, you need a really strong cross-functional group of people from marketing, from engineering, from partnerships, and these people were critical to the creation of both of these programs. But what was really cool was having been a part of the genesis and the creation of the idea 
was really fascinating from a product marketing perspective. This is, yeah, this is amazing. So one question, so I, I was going to ask you what was in it for the developers, but it sounds like there were clear incentives that the developers received. And yep. plus they got to work with the Facebook team for a while. Yep. So there were three tracks. Learn was really to learn how to use the APIs, included things like AMAs modeled after Reddit's AMAs, Ask Me Anythings, where people from our solution engineering partnership team joined a Facebook group and answered questions from developers for like an hour on a regular basis. It included ad credits, included access to groups where they could ask Facebook personnel questions. The build track enabled people to have one-on-one engineering support with Facebook people. And the grow track enabled them to get marketing support to really grow their businesses. Hmm. I, I think one thing which I'm curious about is like, all of these things, right? Like whether it's sitting down with startups and inviting them for lunch or setting up an accelerator. I mean, these sound like very resource intensive activities. So how did you go about convincing people that this was a worthwhile investment? Yeah, this is like a really interesting question because there's like a bunch of different ways you can do it. And I think for each one of these, um, I did them in slightly different ways. So for reaching out to the entrepreneurs, like one of the things I strongly believe in is that my basic formula is this. I would try to do 100 units of work in 50 units of time. So something that would take, say, 100 hours, I would try to find ways to do it in 50 units of time. And then I would spend maybe 10, 15 units of time making it really good. And I would spend the additional remaining 35 to 40 units of time coming up with new ways to move the ball forward in unexpected ways. So, for example, reaching out to these entrepreneurs were the culmination of, I came up with a bunch of hacks, each of which is like a 1% to 2% improvement in productivity. But once you layered on 50 or 100 of them, allowed you to be, say, twice or three times as productive as the average person. And then that opens up a lot of time to experiment with different ideas and it's during this experimentation time that I would go out to do things like reach out through my network and speak to entrepreneurs or set up lunch with our engineering team and with people who built interesting products before. So that hopefully answers your first question of the first piece of it. And then the second piece of it for the accelerator, that was based on experiences I've had before or reading I've done before combined with, again, having some additional experimentation time I created for myself. Mm-hmm. And after getting progress or traction with something like the celebrated idea, what I found is it becomes easier and easier for people to get on board of an IT idea that has legs. Right? I, okay. I think there's some kind of quote that victory has a thousand fathers and failures and orphan. <laughs> what I found is that you, when you're able to come up with hopefully a good idea and get some initial traction on it, it becomes easier and easier to sell it to other people. And then the more and more people you get on board of a project, the, the further you can take it. There's also another saying that I believe is, go fast, go long, go far, go together. Yeah, no, right? I mean, this is great. Yeah. So basically what you're saying is it's not like you just put together a bunch of slides on just an idea and try to convince people. You actually started working on the idea, developed it to some extent, got people on board. And once others saw that traction, that's how you slowly sort of built it out. and got Exactly. Because okay. I don't think you can ever get things taken really far, especially at a bigger company, without buying support from the cross-functional partners. Like like I said before, I want to emphasize that all these things that happened, happened because other people were very supportive and helped a lot, right? There's no, by no means could I claim like 
full credit for any of these sort of initiatives, there was a lot of hard work done by a lot of good people to really make these things happen. Right. And one thing which I'm just curious about, can you share an example of a productivity hack which allowed you to create all this time for experimentation? <laughs> I can give you five or six and <laughs> you can sort of see how they stack on each other. Right. <laughs> one, for example, is during my time in investment banking and consulting, I literally learned the shortcuts for every single office product, for every single, literally every single Windows shortcut key I know. Okay. So what I found is that dramatically improved my speed. For example, when I used to do PowerPoints, you know, at, at McKinsey, before learning the shortcut keys, it might have taken me like five hours to do a PowerPoint. Yeah. But after learning all the shortcut keys, it might have taken me two hours. Right. Okay. Right. So it more than doubled my productivity. Right. Another example is um, <laughs> I, I use both a PC and a Mac. I use PC for creation of PowerPoints. I use a PC for Excel. I use a PC for Outlook for email. Yeah. But then I use a Mac for all my coding. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, another example is I have macros that automate processes for me in Excel and PowerPoint. I set up a cascading series of rules that automatically categorize all of my email. So I spend very little time needing to sort of organize my email, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you can sort of see how each one of these might be, some of them might be very small, yeah. some of them might be very big, but when they stack on top of each other, they can make you dramatically more productive. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, the, the thing which is really coming out, and that's what you said yourself, is that you're someone who believes in doing, like, not just the usual things, but the unusual things to really get the unusual results. So this kind of thinking, is this something that you sort of always had, or did you develop it? Yeah, I think a little bit of both. Um, what's been interesting to me is that it took me a while to realize that personally, I think a, a very important thing for a person is to really understand yourself very well. And for me, I think I'm a very entrepreneurial person, but I didn't know that for the first say, 20 years of my life. I've always done very entrepreneurial things. Like during college, I like I was always looking for ways to hack my classes. I started a investment fund during college. During business school, I hacked my classes too. I don't, I don't know if you know this when we were in school, Sonali, but I did all the work for my entire semester's worth of classes the first week. And then I was working on startups and I was traveling to different countries and I was having fun with friends. How, um, how did you finish the work of an entire semester in one week? Oh, Come on, Sonali. You and I both know that plenty of people cram the entire semester's worth of material in the week before finals. That's true. No, I right? did that. But like, you did that in the beginning of the semester. I just did that at the beginning. I just time shifted to the beginning. <laughs> All right. Okay. Oh, wait, we don't want to digress too much. But no, this, this is very interesting. Okay. So you just sort of, you realize that, I mean, I'm guessing at some point in time, you sort of realize that you always had this sort of entrepreneurial spirit in you. Um, yeah, and it took me a while to realize both that I had it and that it may be different from how other people think. I think personally, this is where knowing yourself really comes in, really matters. Like, I realized that the way my mind works is I try to hack everything. Hmm. Like, I love efficiency hacks. I like growth hacks. I always sort of try to think of like innovative ways of solving problems, and that's always been that's always been part of who I am. Yeah. And I just try to utilize my 
natural tendencies to hopefully great effect in my work. <laughs> All right. So let's get back to product marketing. So sure. um, can you maybe share an example of a, a project? So, I mean, you shared a couple of examples, but I would love to sort of understand a project from beginning to end. How does it start? And then uh, the different stages and the kind of activities you would engage in and the other roles that you would interface with throughout this project. Sure. Again, I'm going to have to be a bit general here. I'm not dodging the question because some of the stuff that I worked on, some of it has launched, but some of it's still in progress. Right. So as an example, let's say as, as product marketing, I, I work with the product team and we figure out a list of stuff that we want to build for the next half. Right. Let's say I work with product management, engineering, and data science, and design and research, and there's a list of the products that are need to be built in the next half. Mm-hmm. What typically happens is, you know, you start off with just going out, and I would read a lot of research. I think the easiest way to gain more information is to read the most self-sufficient way. So I would read, read a lot of research and really understand the problem in the space really well. Mm-hmm. And after I feel like I have a good handle of the space and the problem, I would go and talk to as many people as I can. So both within Facebook as well as external to Facebook. I would, if I, let's say I worked on a product related to lead generation, I would talk to the teams that worked on some kind of products, really understand the problem really well, as well as how products have been built to sort of serve that space in the past. Then what I would do is I would go external. I would talk to, I have like a pretty broad entrepreneurial network, having been an entrepreneur before. I'll talk to my friends who solved that problem before or, or entrepreneurs I've met or alumni from Warden or Princeton. Then after finishing the talking to people phase, I'll go through this process of estimating the market size using both the data I've collected as well as the anecdotal insights. I will try to segment the users of the product to really get a sense of who would use this, why are they using it. Again, uh, an input into market sizing in terms of how much, say, money I think that this product could generate, again, from that side. And then based on that, I would work with the, the team on putting together a plan of how to proceed forward with the product. Um, there would be things along the ways of like reviews with leadership, both in terms of the opportunity, in terms of how we go about building the product, and hopefully we'll culminate in, into this process of getting buy-in and agreement from product marketing, from product management, from engineering, from data science, from design, from research to actually build the product. And again... For this process, it's not just product marketing, right? Product management is intimately involved. Usually engineering is intimately involved. For some of the data science and analytics, the data science team will be involved too. Hmm. And it's just a very, very strong cross-functional group of people who are pushing this forward. Right, okay. For the products I work on, there's two additional teams that matter a lot, and that's one is like partnerships, because a lot of the external developers that build on our APIs or ads APIs are actually external partners, and then solution engineering, which is the oftentimes the sales-facing engineering team, which has a lot of anecdotal feedback in terms of advertisers and developers who are using our products. Got it. Okay. So those two groups would be involved too. And then after we put together essentially both the, the marketing requirements and the product requirements, we would get sign-in from leadership in terms of both the, the value of this product as well as like how we go about building it. And then we go through maybe a process of, depending on the product, maybe a, a couple weeks, a couple months of actually building the product. And then when the product is, during the building phase, I would iterate on a lot of this sort of collecting feedback, talking to people, 
maybe alpha or, or beta testing of products with real customers or developers or advertisers to sort of see their reactions. And then when we have something pretty good, we'll start crafting a go-to-market plan of exactly how we'll go about getting adoption, right? So do you go through existing sales teams? Do you go through the SMB account managers? Do you want to come up with something creative like an accelerator for developers? Um, there's a very specific set of different steps or tools you would take. I think for most ad products, it's really relying on sales to drive adoption, right? right? And then at that point in time, after putting together this very comprehensive document, we call the MPD or master product document, we would actually go through almost a roadshow of training and educating people in sales or uh, SMB account managers or whoever the people who are key stakeholders who need to be bought in to get adopted. Um, we'd educate them on the product and its value. And after that process, launch the product and uh, really aim to get as much adoption as we can. Yeah, no, absolutely. And if you were to think about your time end to end throughout this project, how would you split your time amongst various activities? And by activities, I mean like time spent on research and then time spent talking to customers, that sort of thing. Yeah. So this is like something I found actually varies dramatically, PMM to PMM, or product marketing manager, product marketing manager. I've noticed two trends. There tends to be more product-focused product marketing managers and more marketing-focused product marketing managers. And there's no wrong or right, right way to the, do the job. Um, the product-focused product marketing managers tend to focus more on the product, as you might expect. They tend to focus more on the inbound piece. And the marketing and product marketing managers tend to focus more on the outbound or the marketing piece. Again, there's no wrong or right way to, the, do, to do the job. But what I think matters more than even your own preferences is the phase of the product and type of product. For example, the beginning of the product is basically all inbound. Right? It's really doing the market sizing segmentation, doing the, the interviews with people. Right. Right. At that point in time, maybe like analysis would be 30% of your day. Right. Maybe discussions with different people would be 40% of your day. Mm-hmm. And the additional 30% are ongoing meetings you have with all your close partner teams. Right. right. But let's say that you finish the building process and you're about to launch the product. Maybe then at that point in time, it's 30% of your day not spent on analysis, but really on writing the master product document, the blog posts, the educational materials, maybe you know, 30, 40% of your day spent talking to sales, and then the 30% remaining part of your day is spent on the ongoing cross-functional meetings. Mm-hmm. So your time has actually shifted dramatically depending on what phase of the product you are, you're sense. in. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. And are there any KPIs that are used to measure the success of a product marketing manager? I think this varies dramatically product to product and group to group and product marketing manager, product marketing manager. The KPIs that matter for a PMM is the KPIs of your product. Hmm. So, for example, for an ad product, it's oftentimes revenue. It's adoption, as in like what percentage of advertisers use your product, things like that. But there's no absolute value. It's not like you need 30% adoption to be successful, right? Like. A product like an interface product that's rolled out to everyone has a higher bar for adoption than, say, a very niche developer-focused ad product, let's say. Right. But you would own these metrics with your product manager and your engineers, everyone combined. 
So you may, as a PMM, have slightly different variations of that metric than your PM or your, the engineers, but the overall metric should be more or less the same. Okay, okay, I see. All right, so I think in one way or the other, you've basically described very well the the overall area as well as what your day-to-day looks like. I mean, it sounds like if I were to run into you on a typical day, for the most part, you'll either be talking to people, either your counterparts within Facebook or customers, or you're spending time research, doing research and analysis, that sort of thing. Um, yep. Also, time, I'd say, doing preparing like educational materials, blog posts, and documentation as well. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, would you describe this job as, like, in, in terms of uh, working hours, what is that like? I think it's very flexible. Again, I think it depends on the company and your particular product and your relationship with your team and manager. Personally, I found I had an amazing manager, and I found absolute flexibility with my time. I can come in literally whenever I want. I can leave whenever I want. And as long as the work was good and I had impact, I was given a lot of freedom. Personally, I am more of an early bird, so I would probably come in like sometime between seven and eight, typically. Oh, wow. And I would leave maybe, I don't know, seven, seven-ish or so on average. I see. Okay. Yeah. At a tech company, I'm guessing you were pretty much by yourself at 7 a.m. I mean, not a lot of people come in at that time. Yeah. I would say the average, at least at Facebook, was nine to 10 is when people came in. Yeah, exactly. Okay. All right. And but because you were doing all of these atypical things as you described, you may have been spending more time at work than maybe some of the other PMMs. Oh, definitely. In addition to doing that, I was like also like reading through technical documentation, like building things on our APIs for fun, uh, going to the gym, learning how to play bridge. <laughs> like a lot of other stuff as well. Taking advantage of a large company like Facebook, yeah. Exactly. So in your opinion, what do you think are the most interesting aspects of working as a product marketing manager? I'd say it's being able to be at the intersection of business and engineering is fascinating. I think being able to be strategic, the difference between a product marketing manager and product manager oftentimes is product marketing manager has a higher percentage of their time that's on strategic and cross-functional. Whereas a product manager has a higher percentage of their time on like the nitty-gritty of engineering and execution. I see. I see. That's interesting. Um, okay. And that's that's a meaningful difference. That's a very good point. So, you know, I did want to ask you, and maybe this is a good time, which is that what made you switch from product marketing management to product management? Yeah. I think I mentioned that I've noticed that personally I've been more of a product person in the PMM world And my own conclusion was one of the biggest ways I could have impact is a magnified impact through the product, right? For example, Facebook has a user count of like one point, whatever the latest count is, 1.5 billion, 1.6 billion people. Yeah. And you can do one or two things in terms of, you can speak to one or two people, you can educate one or two people, but you can influence literally hundreds of millions or billions of people through product. And I've always found that to be the most interesting and the most magnified way of having impact in the world. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. No, because I think uh, I've seen a lot of product marketing managers make that switch. So maybe we'll do another episode with you just on how to make that transition. Um, but 
coming back to product marketing, what do you think are the challenging aspects of this role? Um, I think you have to be a person that really enjoys people. Like a very large percentage of the time is spent interacting with people, as you probably have noticed by now. Mm-hmm. I think also what you'll see in any companies that there are there are natural tensions that should be set up in a company to have a healthy dynamic. For example, there should be a natural healthy tension between, say, engineering and legal, mm-hmm. product and legal, right? Product should, in many different ways, push the boundaries of what's being built in a company. And legal should, in many cases, be the brakes to make sure that we're reducing the risk we, we, right. we expose ourselves to. Right. A healthy, healthy sort of relationship includes one where there's tension between the two different groups. And that's normal. That's okay. So being able to, to enjoy people and also work through people, oftentimes when there's conflicting I see. motives, is a very, very critical part of the job. And if you don't enjoy people and don't enjoy working through these issues with people and don't have a bias for positive intent, it can be actually pretty difficult to do that. That's a great point. Okay. And enjoying working with people is different from being an extrovert. Yes. So, I mean, extrovert, as is the typical definition, is getting energy from people, right? But you can enjoy... You can enjoy working with people and still need time to watch TV or read books every day on your own. And that's okay. Are there any aspects of this job that you just do not like? Um, I really enjoyed my work as a PMM and as a PM. I think maybe for me the most tedious part of the job was more of the writing blog posts, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> I knew right? you were going to say that. <laughs> yeah, okay. No, go Which ahead. was fine. I mean, it's, it had to be done. And, uh, you know, I, it, was, it was cool writing blog posts and being able to publish a blog post to a lot of people. But I always felt the most scaled way of having impact is still on product and engineering. Hmm. Yeah. So can you share, did you face any stressful situations in this job or tough situations? Oh, yeah. I mean, definitely some of the natural tensions I mentioned are normal. Mm-hmm. And they definitely happen because different groups are incentivized differently, right? But one of my mentors said something interesting to me because at this point, m- m- many people may say, yes, one of the most annoying things about working in a company are politics. Mm-hmm. But one of my directors at my company said, anytime you see the word politics, recognize it's probably misaligned incentives or misaligned communication. And when I sort of take things through that lens, it really pops up to me that a lot of the things that most people would describe as politics yeah. are truly misaligned incentives or misaligned communications. That's actually a very nice way of thinking about it. It does yeah. put a different perspective to things. Yeah. So I mean, can you share maybe an example of, the, of a kind of sort of misaligned incentives you might have run into? You don't have to share a lot of specifics. Sure. I mean, for example, something I've seen in many different companies before Two teams may be incentivized for revenue, by revenue, let's say, right? And there's only so much revenue to be had, so those two teams may be set against each other, right? And that might just be a misaligned incentives. Maybe the metric or the KPI you use to measure those two teams shouldn't be their individual team's revenues, but the overall group's revenues. I see. Okay. Right? And in doing so, maybe those teams will actually collaborate instead of compete against each other. That's a great point. Okay. And as a product marketing manager, how would you figure that? I mean, how would you resolve that situation? I think cert- there are certain things that is not your job to resolve, right? 
certain things you should flag for leadership and elevate the discussion and have a broader organizational discussion, have them resolve it. Trying to resolve, let's say, another group's incentives or KPIs is probably not a very good use of your time, <laughs> yeah. and probably very stressful. Yeah. But yeah. if you raise this to maybe your boss and, you know, had a frank discussion or a review with like people that maybe these are the wrong KPIs or metrics for success for the, for the team, um, a couple of special things happen. One is you're really solving for the best incentives of, say, the company or, or the, the, the user of the product, not for just yourself and your group. And that's very special, I think. Two is when, this, when you elevate this, this discussion, you can actually solve the problem instead of just wallow in misery at, at misaligned incentives between different groups. Mm-hmm. And third, at the end of the day, I think people want people who will not take just like a, a look for their own interests, but really look, for the, look out for the greater good. And I think that that does a lot for your reputation and for your career as well. Yeah. No, these, these are great inputs, by the way, George. So really happy about all the insights you're sharing. Sure. Oh, I just have a few more questions from the point of view of someone who might be interested in exploring this role further. Yeah. So in your opinion, what do you think, what kind of person do you think would really enjoy working as a product marketing manager? I think a person that enjoys both products and engineering and business. Like it really is the intersection of the two of those. Now, there's a real question in terms of how far you go on product and how far on, say, marketing and sales. And you can be successful in either ways, right? Like product marketing and product management, as, as I'm sure you know as well, are disciplines with very varied backgrounds, mm. right? And you can be successful with a variety of different backgrounds. I don't think it has to be a certain kind of background. Like just the thinking off the top of my like the people I've seen successful in both product marketing and product management come from engineering, design, marketing, sales, entrepreneurship, operations. They're people who were like teachers before. It's really, really varied. But are there any qualities that most of them tend to have? So let me, let me put the question a little bit differently. Let's say there's someone who, who listens to your podcast and says that, hey, I think this sounds really interesting and I want to explore it. Is there a way for them to assess whether they would enjoy this role full-time or not? Um, Think about the components of the job and either think about your past experiences and think if you would enjoy those things or if you haven't, try testing out these components of the job before going to the job. For example, let's say that you haven't done a market sizing before. Just go out and try to market size for a product for... Instagram, for Line, for WhatsApp, for whatever other product you have. Try to just go market size it. Is that something that you think, research it, research how to do it. Is that something that you either think you would enjoy or go after going through the process, you did you enjoy it or not? Um, think about your own experience talking with people on a daily basis. Would you enjoy doing that for 30, 40% of your day? Mm-hmm. Um, think about conflict resolution. Is that something that you know, you think is interesting to debug or is that something that really annoys you, right? That's a great idea. So, I mean, if you were to think about five key components that someone could test vis-a-vis product marketing management, what would they be? I would say think about testing out the market sizing segmentation piece, which is very much similar to a consulting Mm -hmm. job. Think about the cross-functional piece, which is, I guess, similar to sales or marketing or negotiations. 
um, test out the outbound piece, which is really a combination of creating PR blogs as well as like doing presentations and teaching people. And think about after testing out those different pieces, if that's like a, a combination of activities that would really interest you. Okay. No, that's super, super helpful. And in your experience so far, do you think that there are any common misconceptions that are held about this role? So I think the common misconceptions are that people may think product marketing means only outbound or inbound. And frankly, and for some companies, they do. Like what a product marketing manager is very undefined. What it, what it is is very undefined. And for some companies, it may only be the outbound piece. For some companies, the inbound piece might be product management. And it just varies so much company to company. So what I would do is before embarking on into a job at a certain company, make sure you understand of the subset of activities that we discuss, mm-hmm. what subset is really the, the subset that you will be doing in, say, a PMM position at a company. That's a very good point. That's a really good point. So, and in fact, one thing which I did want to ask you is that if, let's say, you're considering various companies for working as a PMM, uh, of course, as you said, you should think about like what components you like and which and align yourself with those companies. But at a slightly broader level, how would you compare this role at a startup versus a larger company like Facebook? You know, I don't think product marketing really exists in startups, like uh, very early stage startups. Hmm. I think you brought this up, but I think this is correct. And this is a position that tends to work at a middle or larger size company. Right. And the reason is because at a startup, the product marketing function is probably being done by the product manager, the engineer, like other members of the team, and not by a specific person. Yep, yep. So, and I'm guessing that at more mid to large size companies, the role is pretty similar. Of, of course, with these variations between outbound and inbound, but otherwise, yes. very similar. Okay, all right. And what is a good way to apply? You know, that's a good question. There's no, I think, personalized or tailored way of getting a job in PMM, I, I, I can sort of think of that obviously the easiest way is to just go on a website and apply. But that's, again, if you apply the framework of, in order to obtain unusual results, do you, uh, unusual things or the usual things in an unusual way? Applying for a job on a website is just the usual thing in the usual way. Like what I would do if I was a candidate thinking of applying is I would go through connections I have at the company. Right. So mm-hmm. if you are applying for a product marketing position in Google or Facebook, look for friends that are, work at Google, that work at Facebook. Right. Go through your, throughout your network. That is probably one of the easiest ways. If you actually have people who work in the industry or work at the company or work in the position. If you don't, then it becomes a little bit more difficult. You would probably have to go around, go one degree out of your immediate network, maybe go cold calls, cold emails and try to find people that way. Yeah, so essentially you're, I mean, you have to try and get a referral. Referral, or even if you don't get a referral, I think getting someone to help you either with interviews or the interview process is also super helpful too. I see. So, you know, just general preparation. Yes. Okay. And what are the interviews like for product marketing management? Um, It varies a lot um, company to company. I think it also probably varies person to person. Because people all have their own spins on, a, on an interview style. I think consistently probably the things that people would test for is they would test for your ability to like, think about products in a thoughtful way. They would test your ability to work well with other people. 
they would test your ability to handle challenging situations, right? With, let's say, different incentives. They would test your ability to build relationships with people, right? They would test your ability to communicate right well to present well. Those are all things that matter. And have you found any resources that are helpful both to prepare for interviews as well as to just learn more about this field? Yeah, sure. Again, given that the field is very, the, the job itself is broken up into actually pretty different components. Right. I think each component actually has very different preparation tracks. So for the market size and segmentation, it's basically very similar to consulting. Mm. So consulting preparation with books like Case in Point probably be helpful. For the conflict re- resolution, you can read books on conflict resolution and on negotiations. For the building relationships, that's probably a, a soft skill that you can read books about, but is largely, I think, also partially driven by, do you enjoy working with people and yeah. building relationships with people? Yeah. Uh, but the best overall holistic way of getting a sense of the job is probably going to resources like Quora and just looking up product marketing and seeing what you can find. Oh yeah, I've, I found Quora so useful for, especially for tech roles. It's really good. Yep. So one thing, George, that I do want to ask you, it's we're pretty much at the end of the interview. Um, I mean, you've had a very, very diverse career and you've done really well throughout your career. So what things, and it could be people, it could be books, it could be videos, articles, what things have had a lot of influence on your professional career? Yeah. I think there's probably a set of macro habits or themes that I have in my head that I think are critical to success. One, which I already mentioned, which is in order to obtain unusual results, do the un- do either unusual things or the usual things in an unusual way, right? Mm-hmm. You can't have unusually good results without doing that, I believe. Second, I think it's critical to be a learning machine. What I mean by that is like, I, at one point I've noticed in my life, in my career, that all the very, very successful people I've noticed are like reading monsters. They literally read incredible amounts. They're able to input an incredible amount of information because if you have bad inputs, you don't have any good outputs, yeah. right? Yeah. So for example, personally, I hold myself to the standard of I read three books a week. Oh, really? Wow. Yes. And I have this algorithm of like, how do I learn new things? And it consists of reading an incredible amount it consists of speaking to people. It consists of essentially testing things out. And it consists of reflecting and teaching. And then I basically loop that. It's an iterative loop. And then I repeat that process to go deeper and deeper onto topics I try to become knowledgeable about. So I, I want to I wanna go one level deeper into this. So which three books did you read last week? Um, sure. I read uh, this book on... There's this new biography of Alibaba. Ah, okay, yeah. Ja- Jack Ma's biography or just on Alibaba? Uh, on Jack Ma's biography. Yeah, okay. So I read that book. I read a book on machine learning. Interesting, okay. And I read a book on marketing. Okay. It's called Marketing for CEOs, Death or Glory in the Digital Age. I actually have it like somewhere in, right next to my bed. I see. I mean, that's really impressive because th- these are not like, 10, 10 page books, right? These are big books. Okay. All yeah, right. but I don't just read professional books, right? For example, last week, I read a book on bridge called Bridge for Dummies. Hmm. I read a book on uh, this amazing Stanford uh, neurosurgeon who passed away called When Breath Becomes Air. 
And I read a book on algorithmic high-frequency trading, like a finance book. Wow, okay. Wow. So it just varies tremendously week to week. That's that's really good. And you're right. I mean, if unless you have great inputs, how can you expect a great output? So, yeah. Yeah. All right, so let's go back to the theme. So one is do unusual things for unusual outputs. Uh, mm-hmm. Read a lot. And what else? I mean, there's, a, there's so many, right? It's like almost like a life philosophy than there's any one particular thing. One thing I believe in is I think you have to design your life around the outputs you want to achieve. So what I mean by that is, for example, some people view just their job as what they do nine to five or six or something, right? And I don't believe that. For example, one of the things I believe is that I believe all the aspects of your life affect all the other aspects of your life. So I believe something that I don't know if a lot of people think about. I believe that keeping your body in tip-top shape is equivalent of having world-class hardware. (laughs) And you can't accomplish very much, even if you have great software, if you have bad hardware. You have have to have good hardware software integration. Right. That's a very techie way of thinking about it, but I agree. <laughs> it's right. Yeah. Yeah. So like I do, for example, one of the things I do is I do biohacking, mm-hmm. which is like I come up with all kinds of ways of like optimizing my own nutrition supplements. I try to like do all kinds of exercises. I work standing up for as much of the day as I can. I try to like make sure that my day is full of movements so I don't suffer from, say, things like uh, soft tissue injury. I do things like yoga or like acupuncture or like just things that to, to make sure that I keep the hardware in my body very strong too. Right. This is so cool, George. Have Have you heard the Tim Ferriss podcast or read his books? Uh, Tim Ferriss is actually a couple of years above me at Princeton. Um, oh, okay. I yes. occasionally wander to his blog, but I haven't sort of really listened to his blog, uh, podcast before. Oh, you should. I think you will really like it because he, he talks in a very similar way about hacking through everything to achieve the most efficient way of, of a great output. So do check it out. That would be my recommendation to you. Cool. I'll definitely check it out. But yeah, thank you so much. This was amazing. Very, very helpful. Uh, is there anything else you would like to share for listeners? Any parting piece of advice? No, I mean, I think we covered a lot. So hopefully that's been helpful. Yes, it was. Thank you so much. And uh, I hope you sleep well. I know you have a lot of packing to do. Enjoy your time (laughs) in Mexico. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds good, Sonali. Have a good night. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So that was George on product marketing management and some great tips for your career overall. I really hope you enjoyed today's discussion and found it helpful. And of course, if you have any questions at all for George or for me, you can email us at learneducatediscover at gmail.com. And you can also tweet at us. Our Twitter handle is at LED underscore curator. Of course, if you really enjoy the show, if if you find it helpful, if you find it interesting, if you think that it adds to your knowledge overall, you can subscribe to the show. You can find us on iTunes or SoundCloud or Stitcher. Simply search for Learn, Educate, Discover and hit subscribe. And you know what happens when you hit subscribe? Every single new episode will get updated on your phone right there like magic. So go ahead, hit that subscribe button. And while you're at it, leave us a review your review really means a lot your kind words make my day so go ahead leave a review 
and also we're now on facebook you can like us on facebook at facebook.com forward slash learn educate discover and by the way you can also check out our website at learn educate discover.com it has all the past episodes that we've done so far it has transcripts of various episodes and you can also subscribe to get updates we are email on all the great content that we are putting together for you guys so that's it for today thank you so much for listening and for your time and until the next one adios